Good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to Evangel. I invite you to stand as we sing this morning. Christ is risen. Amen. Let's sing about it. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say. Head, I 
hallelujah made like him like him we rise ah, hallelujah ours the cross the grave the skies ah, sending Jesus and thank you Jesus for suffering and dying and then rising again so that we could have hope in you of new life and resurrection Lord God we thank you we cannot thank you enough we've come here today to celebrate your victory over death over the grave over hell we've come here to thank you and to show our gratitude and to love you and worship you and praise you. Thank you, Lord God. Let's keep singing. Christ is risen, Christ is risen. 
is risen. Indeed. Amen. Say hello to somebody before you're seated this morning. Thank you. Well, good morning and happy Easter to you. And we're just so delighted you're here with us in this place this morning to worship on this Easter Sunday morning. And for those of you who are not able to be here today and you are watching the service from somewhere else, we're delighted that you could join with us as well. And our prayer today is that the reminder of the reality of the risen Savior just impacts and totally and radically changes our lives. And uh, what a story and a testimony it is. So welcome here. We're delighted you could come and be a part of the service today. I just have uh, one announcement, really, and it's a, it's a, it's a sad announcement. Um, it just seems that uh, each week there's, there's some uh, member or family associated with our congregation that has been caused to grieve losing someone they love. And, and uh, this past week, uh, Andy Solkowski, uh, Joan's husband, Maya's dad, uh, passed away, um, and uh, so we're praying for Joan and their, her family, and uh, also just to let you know that uh, we will be doing uh, the funeral service, uh, celebration of life for Andy here at Evangel on Thursday afternoon of this week at 1 o'clock. So Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock, we'll be doing the service here, and you are welcome to come and be a part of that. And uh, one of the things that Evangel... Um, a practice that we have in coming alongside and caring for those that are a part of our church community is providing that social time after. And uh, so once again this week, I'm coming to you. We're going to be doing coffee and desserts uh, after the service so that there's an opportunity for some people to visit with Joan and, and pass on their regards. And um, so I'm just wondering if, uh, if you're able to, to donate something to that, if you can. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Someone will be there after the service. Just go by there and sign. And uh, if you have questions about that through the week, just want to give you a heads up too. Cindy is on vacation this week. And uh, so from, from the pastor standpoint, oftentimes we're in and out of the office depending on what schedules are and what's going on. So if you're trying to reach us, just, just leave a message. We'll get to you uh, at some point and uh, just to coordinate sometimes uh, just coordinating your dropping that off. But if you, if you can do that and arrange to drop that off here, that would be great. And uh, we'll be able to bless Joan and her family uh, in this time and season of grief and uh, come alongside them. So thank you for that. I uh, just want to uh, ask the kids at this time. You can make your way around. Your volunteer leaders are over here to the side, and they will lead you out and... Uh, for the kids' ministry this morning. Tyler, handing back to you. God bless you guys as you continue to worship this morning. If you were here on Good Friday, we talked a lot about suffering and pain and, and the mystery of suffering because obviously Jesus suffered and died for us. And so that was our focus of God allows such horrible injustice and horrible pain and, and suffering and Oftentimes we wonder, why, God, how is this a part of your plan? How are you going to bring good out of this? But he gave us Jesus suffering and dying, the greatest injustice of all, such a tragedy. And then three days later, 
on Easter Sunday, the resurrection and the glory. And so that is a parallel for us, that when I'm suffering and carrying my cross, and I'm having my Gethsemane moment, or I'm having my, you know, mini Calvary moment, I'm being like Christ because he suffered too. But my hope is for that Easter Sunday where it will eventually be revealed what that was for, and the glory will come if I endure, right? If I carry that cross to the end and I... I continually say, Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. So that's our, that's our model. That's our model. And that's what we celebrate today, even if, even if you are in the midst of grief, saying, but God, I'm going to trust in you, and I'm hoping that I'm going to have my Easter Sunday moment. And that may not be till heaven for, for some things, but, but that is our hope. So we trust in him and say, you've got it figured out. I don't have it figured out, but I'm going to keep carrying this cross until you say it's over. And I'm sure you've, you only have good in store for me. So let's keep singing about that. This one is called Because He Lives. Please stand as we sing. believe in the sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome by the power of his blood
high the mountain I could not Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope Amen Who could imagine Who could imagine so great a mercy What heart could such boundless grace, the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The Then came the morning, then came the morning. 
scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 20 and we're reading verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and reminding us in song this morning of the living hope that we have. It's a living hope. Well, I believe it is safe to say that all of us are afraid of something. Some people are afraid of presenting in front of crowds or writing an exam or taking a test, asking somebody out on a date, sticky children, right up at the top for me, failure, not being able to provide for your family or finding out you or someone you love is seriously ill. And the list goes on and on and more significant and crises-based. Things that cause us to be fearful. I believe one of the most prominent fears that we experience in our lives as human beings is the fear that is associated with losing someone we love when someone we love passes away. Because losing someone you love creates uncertainty, which in turn creates fear and anxiety. And so we ask questions like, what am I going to do now? How am I going to cope? What does life look like with this person no longer in it? Who's going to help me with the major tasks? Or who's going to help me make important decisions? I didn't have to take care of certain things before, and I'm not sure if I can do this. Death creates uncertainty. And uncertainty creates fear and anxiety. Now, we're currently focusing on our Easter series which we've entitled A Rock in a Hard Place, and we've been taking a bit of a unique road through this Easter season in that we've, we've been tracking with Peter through the first Easter and the valuable lessons that he had to learn, and Peter being Peter, most often he had to learn them the hard way. Week one, we talked about the lesson that Peter needed to learn about humility, and then followed that up on the second week with a closely related theme in terms of what he needed to learn about meekness. And we talked about the difference in humility and meekness. And then last week, we focused on the lesson that Peter had to learn about failure. Today, we are going to conclude this series as we focus on the lesson that Peter needed to learn about fear. Fear that was created by the uncertainty associated with the death of Jesus. Now, while our scripture doesn't specifically, you might say, well, Pastor Peter's name didn't show up in the scripture. Thanks for noticing. While our scripture doesn't specifically identify Peter, we do know that he was a part of this group that are in our scripture today. And the lesson on fear was for Peter and not just for Peter, though. For, for all of them and for all of us. And so as we work our way through this scripture today, we will be reminded that Jesus' presence brings peace in uncertain times and reminds us 
that we have a purpose to fulfill. Jesus' presence brings peace in uncertain times and reminds us that we have a purpose to fulfill. So let's take a look at our scripture this morning. Peace. The timing of this scripture is the evening of the resurrection day. Easter Sunday evening, if you will. Earlier that day, we read that Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb and found out that the stone was rolled away and that Jesus' body was gone. And so immediately we're told she ran to find Peter and to find the disciple that Jesus loved. And since it's in the Gospel of John, we assume it's John. She told them that the stone had been moved away, that Jesus' body was gone. And she didn't know where they, the Roman authorities, had put him. They moved his body, and she didn't know where he was. And so Peter and John ran to the tomb and found that the stone had indeed been moved, and the linen was lying there with cloth from his head. And, you know, the linens were there, and the cloth from his head was neatly folded in a separate area. Now, I think there's a whole sermon on how Jesus wants us to cooperate in the household and keep things neat. But, I mean, even in his resurrection folded the linens, right? But that's for another Easter. Clearly, Jesus was gone, but it says they still didn't understand that Jesus was resurrected. They had no idea. Like, he's not here. We have no idea where he is, but they weren't standing there thinking, he must be alive. They, John tells us that's not the case. In fact, the absence of his body created even more uncertainty for Peter and the other disciples, and they went back to their homes. Now, later that day, the disciples were hiding, which is our scripture this morning, in a room with the doors locked because we're told they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Specifically, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who were instrumental in having Jesus killed. As his followers, they were afraid that they might still be in danger. So they were staying out of sight, keeping a, a low profile, waiting for things to blow over. Now, it's important to not underestimate the impact of the crucifixion on Peter and on the other disciples. I think on Peter specifically, because as we talked about last week, that the betrayal, the, the denial of Jesus, I believe, just added an extra weight to, to his grieving. But the impact of that, despite Jesus' efforts to prepare them for this event, they didn't understand. They just didn't understand it, and they're totally unprepared for what they had witnessed and what they had experienced. The trauma that they ex experienced in watching Jesus as he was arrested and beaten and mocked and then ultimately killed by the most vile means at the time, it impacted them significantly. And now here they are, huddled in a room with the doors locked, waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for their own fate to play out. And so in the midst of this fear and this confusion and the pain that they've been through, Jesus appeared in the room with them. He just appeared and says, peace be with you. In Hebrew, shalom. 
Shalom. Peace be with you. It's interesting, in Luke's account of this event, he tells us that the disciples thought Jesus was a ghost. And so when a ghost shows up and says, Shalom, well, you know, <laughs> the doors were locked, and a dead man appeared in the room with them. I mean, what else would you think? What else would you think? They are, they are scared. That's likely why he showed them his hands and his feet to prove, fellas, <laughs> you know, like, I just want you to know, no, no, you know, don't be offended by this, but I had a much better experience with the women than I'm having with the men right now, you know? Like, the women just kind of handed off and just said, let the men take over, right? Yeah, that was interesting. He says, let me show you my hands, let me show you my feet, so I can prove to you that it's me. The crucified one had risen, and instantly their fear lifted, and it says that peace over, well, they're filled with joy. This is a game changer. This is, this, is, this is significant. And so in the upper room before his death, Jesus made this promise to them, but it seems like a lot of things just kind of went over their heads in that, in that farewell discourse. But this is what he said to them. I tell you the truth, you will weep. And you will mourn over what's going to happen to me. And the, but the world will rejoice as they see that. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. He told them that ahead of time, four chapters earlier. And that promise is now fulfilled in this moment. He was alive, and because he was alive, everything changed. Everything changed and they had peace. Secondly, purpose. For the disciples, the crucifixion of Jesus resulted in more than just the loss of someone they loved. It created a confusion and an uncertainty regarding the mission that they had been preparing for for all these, this time with Jesus. These past three approximately three years, he had been preparing them for this mission, and so the loss of Jesus impacted that. And so they're, they're, they're left to, to wonder, what was all that teaching about? Why were they sent out on those missions as part of their training for the future, having to come back and report on how it went? Why, why did that even happen? Why would Jesus tell them that, you know what? I'm going to go, but you're going to do greater things. Why would he command them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation? Why would he even tell them that? It's, it's over. Everything in their lives was dependent on Jesus, and with Jesus dead, they thought the mission died with him. And so instead of going out, they turned in. After all, with Jesus' death, there's no longer a motivation to do anything. But now, in light of the resurrection, the motivation for the mission becomes a priority once again. And so Jesus makes an announcement to them, and he says, Listen, as the Father sent me to speak his truth, to, to do his work, to lay down my life, I'm now sending you to carry on what I began. 
So now you're going to speak the truth. You're going to do his work. And yes, even you are going to lay down your lives for him. Now the model they were doing it before would change. It's not going to be the same. He's not going to be there leading their every moment. The model is changing. But the mission and the message is going to be the same. This was not a new work. It was carrying on the same work under very different circumstances. And so Jesus' presence not only had given them peace, but it gave them purpose again. A purpose to proclaim the kingdom of God. A purpose to see lives changed because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then finally, we see power. What takes place in the next two verses, admittedly, is a source of significant debate. Many theologians have different perspectives on what's happening here. Uh, as I was reading the scripture, I knew that Jennifer was excited that I read that part because she loves it when I read those confusing parts and, you know, and then just not ignore that I read them. So I'm, I'm going to hope to not do that. What's happening here when Jesus is breathing on them? What did Jesus mean when he said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven, but if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven? Like, that's a loaded statement. What, what's, what's going on here? Well, let's start to unpack it a little bit. The word breathe here is only found in one other place in all of Scripture. One other place. And that's Genesis 2-7. Where it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Creation was... The pinnacle here came with the breath of God. The light of Jesus' death and resurrection, in light of this, there is now provision for new creation. For new creation. We have it in original creation, and we have it here now in this provision for new creation. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The disciples are a part of this new creation. And it is the Holy Spirit that completes the new creation as the Holy Spirit is received. And so they, the disciples, are living examples of what it means to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek language in the statement, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a really tricky sentence. It's a really tricky statement. And so to, to simplify, I believe that this statement is framing in its simplest form the mission of Jesus, which is subsequently the mission of the disciples, which is subsequently the mission that we're a part of. The mission of Jesus is about calling people, inviting people into repentance and forgiveness. And so when we live out the gospel of Jesus, when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, not just with our words, but with our lives, we are announcing the need, we are announcing the invitation for repentance and 
the provision of forgiveness through Jesus. We're offering the assurance of forgiveness that is based on the provision of Jesus. Not on our own ability to forgive or not forgive, but on the provision of Jesus. And so proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ presents people with that choice. Do they receive that invitation of forgiveness or do they reject that invitation of forgiveness? Either can happen. And so followers of Jesus present the opportunity. We present the opportunity. We present the invitation for forgiveness. We don't make that forgiveness happen or not happen. We invite people to it. We help them understand it, but it's the Holy Spirit that that enables a person to receive that forgiveness and become a new creation. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And so that's what Jesus is dealing with here. The Holy Spirit is the power of the mission, both in terms of making salvation through Jesus possible and also empowering Jesus' followers to carry on his mission in proclaiming his message and inviting people into the forgiveness that he has secured through his death and his resurrection. So there are two things that I want to leave with us this morning as we focus on the scripture that's before us. The first is in terms of walls. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty in our world right now. I don't don't think anyone would disagree with that. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty in our world because of what seems like a never-ending, ongoing impact of COVID outbreaks. There is uncertainty in our world because of war. There's uncertainty in our world because inflation is rising and it's putting pressure on people and personal finances and ability to buy necessities and even supply issues to be able to get the things that we need. And uh, there's trade embargoes and, uh, and, and war. All of these things are creating an environment in our world right now of fear and uncertainty. But there's also a lot of fear and uncertainty in many of our lives right now because of personal circumstances and realities. Not just what's happening out there in our world that is impacting our lives, but things that are happening in our own lives, in our own families, in our own relationships. And so when the disciples felt threatened and were experiencing fear and uncertainty and confusion and hopelessness and disappointment, they responded to that by creating a wall, a barrier around themselves and their source of fear. For them, it was literal walls and a literal locked door. Their response was a common response to fear. It's a response that perhaps you and I have used many times. When we feel threatened, when when things seem uncertain, we try to create a level of protection around ourselves by creating some type of walls. Sometimes they can be physical, but most often they're emotional or relational. And we do it all the time when we feel threatened, when we're experiencing fear, uncertainty, confusion, hopelessness, and disappointment. We retreat 
we retreat and we put barriers around our lives in an attempt to protect ourselves because we don't know what else to do. Because we want to keep certain people out of our lives or we want to keep certain realities at bay. And as a result, sometimes we feel isolated and trapped by our fears because our fears has caused us to withdraw and, and, and isolate, and, and now we're alone. And our freedom is robbed in, by our response to fear. Now, while it's true that the walls often keep people and circumstances at bay, and there are certainly things in our lives that we do need to put walls up against. There's no question. Our walls can't keep Jesus at bay. And that's the point I want to make in this point this morning. Whatever walls we put up for whatever reason, whatever it is that causes us to, to go into that mode, we may be able to keep the pain, the hurt, the people, the circumstances temporarily at bay, but our walls never can keep Jesus at bay. He penetrates the walls that we put up in our lives. He just appears. He gets in there. And he announces upon his arrival, you know, you're in that space, you're, you're scared, you're hurting, you've, you think you've protected, and Jesus shows up and says, peace. Shalom. I'm bringing you peace into your protected and scared environment. He declares peace in our own lives or our families or our circumstances, our uncertainties and our fears. And if any of you have ever been through that, you understand what the Bible says when it talks about this concept of peace beyond understanding, that somehow you're in the middle of something and the last thing you should be experiencing is peace, but somehow, miraculously, mysteriously, Jesus is there and you have peace in the middle of it. The circumstances haven't changed, but your ability to know peace has. And so that's what he's doing today. He's coming to us, and, and perhaps there's many of you who are here or watching for somewhere, from somewhere else, and, and life is a lot. It's a lot, and it's a lot because, folks, we live in a horrible, broken world that's full of sin and brokenness, and it breaks the heart of God to see the pain and suffering we're enduring. But in the middle of it, he does come alongside and bring peace and hope and strength to us. And that's what he's doing in our lives today. Just like on that first Easter Sunday where he miraculously and mysteriously appeared when they were hiding, he is miraculously and mysteriously appearing here where some of us are hiding in a crowd. He's here. And he's offering us his peace. The wounds that he bears, he's our wounded healer. The wounds that he bears secured our peace. And not only is he our wounded healer, he helps us become wounded healers. In our pain 
in our brokenness somehow miraculously and mysteriously to become bringers of peace and hope to a world that's broken and uncertain, to a person's life that is broken and uncertain. The one who overcame death and the grave and rose again can help us overcome the fears and the uncertainty in our lives and bring peace. And secondly, and finally, focus. When faced with fear, we not only put up walls, but we tend to turn our focus inward in an attempt to survive. There's a survival mechanism in us. When facing fears, the disciples turn their focus inward, and as a result, they lost sight of their purpose. Fear can rob us of our purpose. Fear can cause us to lose focus. And so when facing intimidating fear, we are faced also with a choice. Do we turn our focus inward and we say, you know what, just for this season, I need to focus on me and, and I, I, you know, I, I can't really do anything for anybody else right now. I can't think of anybody else. I only have to think about me. And I tell you, we live in a culture that sells that everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn. It's about you. It's about you. It's about you. Don't worry about anybody else right now. It's about you. Do we turn inward because we're of what we're facing, or do we turn outward? Jesus brought peace to them, but that wasn't the end of the story. He brought peace to them, but he also brought purpose to them. Jesus reminded them that they had a purpose to fulfill, and in order to fulfill that purpose, they had to in turn focus outward, not inward. In fact, what they had suffered and what they had endured would be a great asset as they turned outward. That the Holy Spirit would help them. That they're not alone. That the Holy Spirit would help them to turn outward. That the Holy Spirit would help them to take the focus off of their fears and back on the mission of Jesus. I think it would be a fair assessment to say that many of us, and I say us because I feel included in this group, have turned our focus inward during the past couple of years. Fear, uncertainty, limitation has caused many of us to turn our focus inward, hoping to ride out the storm before emerging back into embracing our purpose. And the result is church communities, communities of faith have experienced significant decline in terms of our engagement with one another. Financial support disappeared in large amounts, not completely. Otherwise, I'd be begging on the corner with a tin can right now if all of you gave up on that. So thank you for still paying me. Missional activity has gone significantly down. Creative community building amongst one another has been put on the shelf. I mean, it's the truth. It's, it's what's happened. It's the impact. It's the, it's, it's the fallout. There is no question that we, the way we live out 
church community, the way we live out kingdom life has, has changed. It has changed. Just as much as what life was like for the disciples pre-Jesus' death and post-Jesus' death was different, the model changes, and the model has changed, but the mission hasn't changed. Our purpose in this world has not changed. And so rather than turning our focus outward and engaging the mission in new and creative ways of seeing all of this uncertainty as an opportunity rather than something to create uncertainty and fear, many of us remain focused on waiting. Waiting. And I think some of us don't even know what it is exactly we're waiting for. The mission of Jesus is the same. The message of Jesus is the same. The Holy Spirit who empowers us is the same. But how we will now fulfill the mission of Jesus with the Holy Spirit's help, no question has changed. But I do believe that it's time for us as followers of Jesus to start turning our focus outward instead of inward. Jesus didn't bring peace to the disciples and leave them there. His peace was followed quickly by a challenge to embrace their purpose. Jesus wants to bring peace in the midst of our uncertainty, but his peace is connected to the challenge to embrace our purpose. And our purpose is his mission. So we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us in how intentionally we find time to pray. To ask the Holy Spirit to lead our giving and our generosity. To depend on the Holy Spirit. To find creative ways to build authentic community with one another. To be led by the Holy Spirit to find creative ways to serve those in the community. The hungry. The homeless. Those who are struggling. Those who are hurting those who need rescue from the slavery of human trafficking and drugs and alcoholism. Because the needs in our community are greater than ever. They are greater than ever. And the Holy Spirit is willing. And the mission is waiting. So are we turning our focus inward? Imprisoning ourselves in fear? Or are we turning our focus outward and saying, Holy Spirit, even within these limitations, where yes, I have to make sure I'm safe and I'm healthy and I'm not advocating anything different than that. And if you think I am, you have not been with me for the last two years at all. I'm not advocating that. I'm saying within this, how can you use me and help me find my purpose? It's time to re-engage in our purpose because Jesus is alive. And when the reality that Jesus is alive takes birth within us, it changes everything. It changes everything, just like it did on that first Easter evening. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Jesus desires to bring peace into our lives and our families, our circumstances, our uncertainties, and our fears. He has come to each one of us today, and he's offering us his peace. Jesus brought peace to the disciples, but his peace was quickly followed by a challenge to embrace their purpose. 
because the needs in the community are greater than ever. And the Holy Spirit and the mission is waiting. Folks, Jesus' presence brings peace in uncertain times. But it doesn't end there. And reminds us we have a purpose to fulfill. Would you stand with me as Tyler and the worship team lead us in our closing song this morning?
Father, this morning, we declare that we are no longer slaves to fear. We have heard your shalom. We have experienced your shalom. And your peace has come in the midst of a raging storm, in the midst of raging emotions and confusion and uncertainty. Your peace is bringing calm to our hearts and our lives even though the storm rages on because your presence is with us and you will never leave us and you will never forsake us and Father today we pray that each and every one of us will open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to lead our lives and remind us that we have a purpose and what our purpose might be, even though we know in the greater scheme it's the mission of Jesus, but what is that purpose? What part can I be a part of in your greater purpose, in your greater mission? Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. Holy Spirit, give us opportunities. Give us obedience. Give us a longing and a hunger and a desire to serve Jesus like we've never served him before. Holy Spirit, give us hearts that are broken for those who are broken and hurting and lost and struggling. That the love of Jesus may flow from our lives and just encompass those who are so desperate who have struggled for so long and remind them that they're not forgotten, that God loves them and he's there with them and he's working. Father, today we lift up before you the Sulkowski family. We pray today for your peace your shalom, for your strength, for your comfort. May the uncertainty created by Andy's passing not cause fear and anxiety, but may they know a peace that passes understanding. For the Lynn family, the same. We pray for Gina and for Todd as they continue with treatments we pray, God, that you would use whatever means is available to bring healing and restoration to their lives. We pray for good reports. We pray for your protection. We pray, Lord, for a miracle. We pray today for Edith, God. We pray that you would touch her body, strengthen her, for Carl as he recovers. Or for Gaynor, who's here today, 
thank you for your peace and your presence. Give her strength for each and every day. For so many who are here or elsewhere who are struggling in ways that no one even knows, facing decisions, facing realities that that people aren't even aware of, Lord, would you come and give them strength and help today? And would you remind all of us that you are alive and because you are alive, we too will live. Because you are alive, we have hope. Because you are alive, everything is different. Everything has changed. And thank you for the hope and the peace that we find in that. Be with us as we leave this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We can be of help in any way. Please don't hesitate to reach out. God bless you. Have a great week.